$600,000 is enough to fund a lot of equipment, right. but it won't touch a $6 million runway rehab. <laughs> right. it, it's just never yeah. going to get there. Um, so, and you can bankroll that for, for four years, but you have to spend the entitlement on whatever discretionary grant you're getting that year. So right. if I were to go out and do the runway rehab, my 600000 would go immediately to the runway rehab, and then that would leave uh, $5.4 million left to find through mm -hmm. discretionary sources. Interesting. So it's a good kind of parallel to all of our personal and business lives of really prioritizing the most important things at the right times. Yeah. Because if you spend your money in the wrong places, then you won't have the money available for what you really need to spend. Yeah, the timing is everything. So Hi, and welcome back to another Money Not Math episode. I appreciate you taking the time to watch or listen to this episode and hope it brings value to you on your retirement planning journey. If it does, please help me provide more value to more people by sharing this episode with a friend and leaving a comment or review. I love to help people have more confidence in their financial future. My mission is to provide the highest quality advice and service to clients possible. Therefore, I limit myself to 100 active clients or less at all times. Please reach out with retirement planning questions or requests for future Money Not Math topics at drew at fivestonefinancial.com. Remember, this content is not legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult a qualified professional. Hi, welcome back to another Money Not Math conversation. With me today, thankfully, is Joe Hedrick, the manager of the TRUP Airport. And this is a unique one. Typically, we talk to um, business owners uh, or someone who maybe owns a business. But in this case, we're talking to someone who manages a very large business. But I thought his experience and knowledge would be valuable for those who watch because whether you're a business owner or not, you can learn a lot by managing a business and managing large sums of money, um, both from a gross and net profit standpoint. So thank you, Joe, for being here. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Drew. Uh, I know you're taking time out of your busy day and with your family and things like that. So before we get into the business side of things and money and things like that, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, as you said, my name is Joe Hedrick. I manage the airport here in Thief River Falls. Uh, let's see, I'm 36. I'm married. I have two kids, one stepdaughter, 16, and one daughter, uh, age three. Um, originally from Wisconsin and uh, moved to the great state of Minnesota <laughs> when I was 18 and uh, went to school in St. Cloud and have been living in the state ever since. Okay. So what brought you to Thief River Falls specifically? Was it the job you're currently in or what brought you here? Because obviously yeah, going from Wisconsin to northern Minnesota is a I bit always, of a difference. And I always told people I'll go where the job takes me. Okay. And so the job took me to Thief River Falls. Interesting. And, uh, it, it has been a really nice fit. And was that straight out of college or what did you do? So you went to yeah. college. For, what did you study in college? Okay. So I went to St. Cloud State for aviation management. Okay. Um, actually, my emphasis was in airline management. Um, but when I had first conceived of going to school for aviation, it was it was in my head it was professional flight, so I wanted to be a pilot. Okay. Uh, this was in uh, 2005. Um, so I, once I got into school, started realizing the the barriers to becoming a pilot and and making actually a good living as in in that profession at that time it was a long time to get all of your ratings, all the hours, and then you get into the right seat of an aircraft and you're making $25,000, $30,000 a year, right? And and it's a, then a long slog to yeah. get into the left seat where you're a captain, and then you start making you know the money. Uh, in addition, you're away from home. You don't really have a home base anymore, so I wasn't sure that that lifestyle was, was right for me. 
So in, uh, in college, I switched to airline management, still kind of wanted to do some traveling with the airlines. But uh, as, I, as I graduated, I, I took two internships, one as a senior and one just out of college. Uh, the first was for Minnesota Business Aviation Association. So this is companies like 3M, Target, Cargill, uh, General Mills. They all have aircraft. They're all based in the state of Minnesota. Uh, they have their own group, right? And so I was at the state capitol. Uh, we were advocating for a change in the formula for aviation taxes, trying to do a revenue neutral tax. Uh, so zero change, but lowering aircraft registration, uh, making some small adjustments to fuel tax uh, and air flight property tax and, and that sort of thing. So that's long story short, that was a very interesting internship and it led me directly into uh, assistant managing the Owatonna Airport. Okay. As an unpaid internship. Oh, fun. So I was yeah. I was moonlighting as a caribou coffee barista. Okay. And managing the airport uh, or system managing the airport, really kind of learning how to manage an airport uh, during the day. And I fell in love with the airport environment, the, the ability to uh, develop, mold the airport, meet the user's needs, ensure a safe uh, uh, safe area for aircraft uh, was attractive and you have a home base. And, mm -hmm. and so family was always top of mind for me. That I, I knew that was in my future. Okay. So, uh, and so you're willing to go where the job was, but you knew that you wanted to have family, like an actual home life one day. Right. And you volunteered your time to learn how to do your job one day. Yeah. Both <laughs> internships were unpaid. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was cool. probably about a year of my life was just uh, unpaid internships and uh, moonlighting, as uh, well as a host at a, at a restaurant in St. Cloud and then a barista for Caribou Coffee. Well, kudos to you because I know a lot of people who won't even work at a job for minimum wage or close there, and you were literally donating your time with the intention of getting experience. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, a lot, shout out to my parents, right? I mean, the barista wasn't paying the bills. Uh, <laughs> it was enough to put food Fair on, the, food on the plate, but yeah. you know, living in an efficiency apartment and the whole nine yards, I, I definitely had some financial support from my parents in order okay. to, to see that through. So then from those internships, the Thief River Falls Airport was your first like paying job or in the airport industry then? Yeah, and um, it, it was uh, the stars aligned really because the city of Thief River Falls uh, wanted to bring the county, Pennington County, into an airport authority. So under a new management structure where it's not the city-run airport anymore, it's not a county-run airport anymore, they together jointly formed a sort of joint okay. powers agreement, an airport authority hmm. with its own taxing entity, but uh, taxing authority over the entire county, not just the city. Um, so, so they needed an airport manager. All of those services that might have been taken care of by the city then had to be done on its own. Okay. So they were looking for a new person that they didn't have to pay very much. And I was looking for a job where I could get five years of experience, and it was the most money that I ever made. You know, coming right <laughs> out of college, you know, with like thirty thousand dollars worth of, right. of student loan debt. So yeah, uh, it it really worked out well uh, for I think both both parties. And why did you need five years experience? Oh, just everywhere you see on on our um, on airport related job postings, it's five years minimum experience required, uh, and and I didn't have it. So. Right. I think I think the job application for Thief River Falls might have even had it on there, and I chose to apply anyway, and it Good just you. really lucked out. Nice. So tell us, 
you know, big picture, we don't have all day, but obviously we want to have, have a bet general understanding. What does your life look like as a manager of the airport? Like what goes into managing that place and all that has to go into it? Right. So the first thing is compliance. Uh, there is both federal and state regulations that the airport has to comply with. Um, and there's a paper trail for that. So we have to make sure that we're following all of that and, and meeting those uh, yearly inspections from mostly from FAA. State does uh, an inspection every three years. Uh, besides that, we're just making sure that, and it's related to compliance, making sure that the airport is a safe environment for aircraft to land. Um, we also are doing airport development. So all of the infrastructure, the pavement, the lighting, the buildings that are out there, we are first of all maintaining, and second of all looking at, uh, you know, is this still the right fit um, to to meet our needs, the current right. needs. So, with your the work you're doing, hopefully I phrase this question in a fair way to respond. Is what percentage is based on like a consumer like myself wanting to fly to the cities versus a big supplier like DigiQ shipping stuff all across the world every day? Well, Thief River Falls is unique in that the, the biggest sector is cargo. Okay. So, um, and, and we also have Essential Air Service, which is a subsidized uh, air service program. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my day-to-day -day -day answer for you is there's a, a lot more of our economy and the activity at the airport is driven by cargo. Okay. Um, but in the grant world, which is top of mind all the time for me, it's driven by the airlines. Okay. Uh, but we're, we're kind of right at uh, in between levels of, of grant funding for the airline uh, for air service. So okay. under 8,000, we, we get $150,000 a year to spend on federally eligible projects, okay. things that the FAA agrees with you on. Um, and then if you go over 8,000, which we did for the first time in 24 years last year, and we're getting very close to, to uh, getting over that threshold again this year, we move up to $600,000 a year. And then if you employ more than 10,000 people, and, and employment is people getting on in your communities. Not just tickets. Not getting off. Okay. So not even the people coming off okay. the plane, just getting on in Thief River Falls. If you go over 10,000, you get a million dollars a year. You have, you have to have the... FAA's blessing to spend it on an FAA eligible item. Okay. Um, Interesting. So, so that's the grants. And then I do airport leases. Um, I do budget prep and then I manage a small staff of, of four. They're doing the maintenance and right. the operations, uh, actually changing light bulbs, actually mowing the grass, right. actually plowing the, the runways. I help with the plowing. So you do kind of, not only do you manage, you also help doing the work to keep uh, staff lead. For time, timeliness, you yeah. know, if somebody if somebody is uh, out on vacation or you're under a big uh, snowstorm, I, I for sure jump in a plow. And it's kind of, it's part of the fun variety of the job. Okay. I'm, I'm dealing with FAA on maybe, uh, I met the governor the other day, a few weeks back. Oh, and he came and visited you. Came and, yep. and toured, toured DigiKey and toured the new hangar at the airport. Okay. Uh, but then, yeah, if there's a snowstorm, jump in a plow. It's fun. Perfect lead. You said new hangar at the airport, and you also just talked about grants. Can you talk about first when you started the airport and all of the new things that have happened during that time period? And like how, how does that happen? That's a lot of the government list. entity. You could cherry pick the ones you want to talk about, of course, but yeah. like a lot of exciting things has happened out there. And in the private sector, right? If you want to make an investment of some sort, you kind of have to raise money or make those decisions. But in your world, it's based on 
you tell me, but grants and yeah. how do you apply for them? How do you, how do you know which ones you want to look for? Like, how, how does that work and what are some things you've celebrated? Well, the airport is really lucky because there are existing grant programs out there meant to support airports. And you have, I'm not saying this facetiously, partners with FAA, partners with state officials, that that is their job is okay. to look at how, what the quality is of these airports around the state, around the country. Um, and there's uh, funding for them to, to do things, if justified. Um, so since I've started, we've touched almost every surface of the airport. Uh, main runway has been redone, completely reconstructed. Parallel taxiway, uh, new, brand new, state-of-the-art LED lighting system, uh, lowering, the, lowering the operating costs. Um, new aprons, so that's all pavement and lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we are getting into brand new hangars, 30,000 square foot hangar for cargo. Um, and potentially, if the grant request is successful, we'll start down the path of a new terminal. Okay. The terminal is 50 years old, and uh, and there's funding out there right now that we could potentially get it for. We try to get it, get all of these projects done with as little local share as possible. So uh, it it might be this is kind of fortune, you know, crystal ball type stuff. We might have almost zero local share into a new building. So at that point, it becomes a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you right. put up a, replace a 50-year building with another building that will stand another 50 years if it means zero impact to the mm -hmm. local taxpayer and that financial burden is, is shared amongst a, a larger group? And is there an answer to that question? Is there a reason that you wouldn't do it? Is it like... Not in my mind. Okay. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I sometimes will say... You know, I don't like the game, but that's the game that we're playing. And so, uh, you know, whether, however you align on the issue of state bonding or uh, federal grants for these types of projects, you know, this is the game that, this is the cards that we're dealt. And so if we don't apply for these funds, some other airport is going right. to apply for these funds. And would you rather have them get it? I mean, maybe we should play a different game, but until then, this is this is what we have to do. So what you're saying to clarify is the government's already set this money aside. It's yeah. going to get spent somewhere. Why not advocate for it to be spent here? Right. Is that fair? Yep. So how much of that grant and like those all those projects you listed? What year did you start here? 2011. 2011. You might have said that. Sorry, I, I did not miss earlier. So over 12 years, you touched on all the changes that have happened. How much of that is, you know, your partners with the FAA and stuff coming in telling you that you should do this versus you? coming up with an idea and, and like having to draw out a project and advocate genuinely advocate for it because Joe Hedrick, like this was your idea. It's a hard one to answer because they, in, in a lot of cases, they say, yes, you're doing a pavement inspection. We know your pavement is at this level, but we might need, we might be able to uh, arrange your capital improvement plan in a, in a way that um, allows the, the airport to do its prior or its favorite project uh, first, thereby maximizing your grant, uh, uh, your grant potential for that project, because your um, maybe the FAA, the higher priority project is going to get discretionary funding no matter what happens. Okay. Uh, and so it, it gets kind of complicated, but you have to spend your entitlements first. And then if, if your project rises to the occasion, you get additional money called discretionary uh, and so if you can funnel that money, your entitlement money, into a, a lower FAA priority project first, 
that leaves the next project, the okay. FAA higher priority project, to receive more discretionary funding, funding that you have to compete for on a nationwide basis. Okay. Not guaranteed, but FAA is telling you, we want you to do this. So you right. stand a pretty good chance of, of competing for those funds. So there's quite a bit of strategizing of what you do and when you do it. And, and, and yeah, and there's, there's a push and pull with FAA, with state, uh, and getting uh, my consultant. It's not just me. There's a team of people. And, mm -hmm. and so getting that consultant to understand the local needs. And this is why we want a piece of equipment before a runway rehab. Mm -hmm. Right, because we're not going to be able to afford that plow if we do the runway rehab and, and try to buy the plow the next year. Okay, right? interesting. So, so you got to rearrange those things, and and it, it's a push and a pull. Right, and and also within that, you kind of touched on the I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but if you go from, you know, if you hit eight thousand, your funding goes from one hundred fifty to six hundred thousand. If you hit ten thousand, goes from six or what was it? 600,000 to a million. Yeah. So there's also some business marketing or planning in there of, okay, if we can spend 300,000 to increase our rides to 8,000, we get 500,000, $450,000 back. That's a net positive from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, you, you might want to get specials and you, stuff like that. Yeah, you might. Yeah. Well, we want to continue to increase the boardings uh, just as like a statistical, hey, look, look at how, how the history of our employments has continued to increase mm -hmm. over the years. Um, it does play into the projects that you want to do, but the equipment uh, scenario that I talked about really plays into it because the equipment is FAA eligible, but uh, such a low priority that it never gets discretionary funding. And $600,000 is enough to fund a lot of equipment, right. but it won't touch a $6 million runway rehab. <laughs> right. it, it's just never yeah. going to get there. Um, so and you can bankroll that for, for four years, but you have to spend the entitlement on whatever discretionary grant you're getting that year. So right. if I were to go out and do the runway rehab, my 600,000 would go immediately to the runway rehab. And then that would leave uh, $5.4 million left to find through mm -hmm. discretionary sources. Interesting. So it's a good kind of parallel to all of our personal and business lives of really prioritizing the most important things at the right times, yeah. Because if you spend your money in the wrong places, then you won't have the money available for what you really need to spend. Yeah, on. timing is everything. So, with that, you know, it's a, your clients per se are people riding the airplanes. How do you, as the manager in the Peter Falls Airport, like what do you guys do to try to improve value or improve quality to get more people flying out of here rather than Grand Forks or Fargo or just driving, right? So, like. How much flexibility do you have there and what mission or kind of what objectives do you guys try to meet there? So the passengers would be one one customer of the airport, but right. not everybody. Um, we're also thinking about the pilot that is flying the cargo okay. planes in um, and the customers that are, are requesting those packages either outside of the community or you're buying an Amazon package and you want it overnighted in. Uh, you're, you're a customer of the airport. Good point. Whether or not you yeah. realize it. Um, so safety is our actually number one priority, okay. making sure that it's a safe and you're communicating those uh, conditions to the pilots that need to know. Um, then there are the customers and that gets into the airlines. So that comes down to, you know, essential air service. It's a subsidized program. Uh, we're really lucky to have found Denver Air Connection, a regional jet service, something in the past that I would have said. It's probably not in 
pay for those cards to have regional jet service. But because of uh, economics and the way that the, um, in, in, you know, everything from the cost of fuel, the cost of pilots has gone up, all of a sudden it makes it economical for these regional jets to compete with smaller, um, like uh, turboprop uh, carriers that are in the essential air service game. And they're offering competitive uh, uh, contracts saying, hey, I could do this. I could do this route for with a nine seat Pilatus uh, at the same price I'm doing it for a 30 passenger regional jet. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, it was, that's, that was unheard of 10 years ago. Uh, so we're really lucky to have, have seen that. But when those contracts come up to your point, we obviously see the value of a mm-hmm. regional jet over a nine seat turboprop. Um, and so to add the value to the customer, we, we see that and we say, we're going to advocate for that. The, the federal DOT takes the community's comments into account when it's selecting a carrier. And then uh, on an as- ongoing basis, I work with Denver Air to, uh, to meet our employment goals and just to say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing buzz around town that the fares are getting out of hand. You know what? What are your buckets of funding? What have you? You know they they move things around. So, I mean, it's it starts at 109 and goes up as your trip gets closer as the seats uh, as the seats fill out. Um, is that 109 bucket big enough? Right? Maybe mm-hmm. you maybe it needs to be more than five seats. Maybe it needs to be 10 seats or or something like that. And then what's your top level at? Is it 149? Maybe that's okay. Or was it 179? And you're not selling them. So. Why would you offer them? Right. Ne- you're never going to sell them at that level. So just let's let's kind of r- rein it in. So you actually get to negotiate with Denver, like based on the personal feel yeah. on how that works. Do you also are you also in charge of negotiating with like DigiKey and Textron and UPS and all these different companies who are shipping stuff in and out all the time, or is that more held with Denver directly, or how does that all work? Uh, as far as like packages go, I don't really play. I don't deal with that except to say this is what the landing fee will be okay uh, you know for airport revenue mm-hmm. and so that that's just what i whatever i set that rate at okay so with all the changes you touched on from 2011 to now has what is the i don't know what you can and can't share but what is like the difference in the size or the the, the i don't even know how to phrase my question because i don't understand your industry that well the amount of gross business done on an annualized basis, however you manage that, whether it's measured in people or packages, compared to 2011 to now at our local airport. Well, from a revenue standpoint, like our budget, it's it's has more than doubled. Um, wow, that's a lot. To yeah. you know, we're about a million dollar revenue uh, organization. Um, as far as uh, as employments go, I mean, we were. We were circling around 2,500 employments, so that's gone up by four times. Wow! In uh, 12 years, it's gone up four times, four yeah, x. Wow! I mean, there's a, a lot of variability. In yeah. So, so it's it's at that low of a number. <laughs> it's easier to quadruple a hundred than it is on a million. Right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, and then cargo. Uh, cargo has grown a substantial amount, but it has plateaued out from okay. uh, from an aircraft weight standpoint. And that's how I, I uh, report everything to FAA is like total weight of the aircraft. Interesting. They, they made an initial big upgrade from small jets. They're the Falcon 20s up into the CRJ 200s. Okay. And so that's a heavy aircraft. And so at that point, we kind of we leveled out and we're, we're staying about the same level. 
Um, I don't track as closely the weight of the packages on board those aircraft. I have access to that number, but it's it's not really. I mean, there some some of the digi packages are really really light, so it's more of like a, a volume <laughs> Understandable. over gross weight. Understandable. Interesting. So your gross revenues doubled. Your employments have quadrupled in the last twelve years. Where do you see that going in the next five years? Is it, is it all going to kind of level out like the cargo has, or do you foresee that continuing to grow? Kind of what. I'm not asking you to be a crystal ball reader, yeah. but if you had to kind of guess or what's your intentions, I guess, the next five years? Well, I think so. Uh, it's not ready to advertise yet, but we can uh, openly announce it. Uh, Denver Air has agreed yes. or has formed a partnership with De uh, Delta. So it's called very a, excited. It's, a, it's an interline <laughs> agreement. Yeah. And that means you'll be able to buy one ticket on Delta.com and fly from Thief River Falls through Minneapolis to any other Delta destination with one ticket and your bag will transfer seamlessly. Uh, that is not fully online. They've done testing on the reservation systems, making sure that they jive together. But that has, is, is not activated yet we're trying to do so before the first of the year it's, it's we're still not sure if it's going to make it before january one or not but i think to your question that will lead us to a, a, probably an initial uh considerable growth in our employments in, in i foresee them going over the ten thousand, nice. and then i i bet it'll start to plateau and and be a more uh, cyclical ups and downs okay. ebbs and flows that you might see in any airport, right? Uh, given, you know, airports are, they say airports are the first to feel uh, a downward economy, and they're the last to feel the impacts of of a, of a, a growing economy. Okay. Definitely a lagging industry. A lagging. Okay, industry. that's interesting because I know for me personally, I will if I'm just going to Minneapolis, I would much prefer to fly. But currently, if I'm going somewhere outside of Minneapolis, that that connection, yeah. that small barrier to entry, makes me hesitate. I'm like, yeah, do I want to fly? And then switch or do I just want to drive and then fly? Yeah. So I, I think that's going to be huge. Do you think that price, that'll affect the price by having that connection and Denver being maybe able to move their weight around a little bit and telling Denver, Delta, telling Denver, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, to answer, kind of, the answer to your question is Delta will be able to lower Denver Air's fee when you're connecting. So Denver Air might not be able to, might not have the effect that you're hoping it would have they'll still get the money. Denver Air will collect less money for that connection. Okay. Uh, whereas if you just were to buy like Thief River, Minneapolis, you would, uh, Denver Air would collect whatever their fee is. Right now it's 109. Mm -hmm. And then you go Minneapolis to, let's say Orlando on Delta. And, and so you might be able to price it out differently than just one seamless transfer. But there's benefits that you're getting Due to mm -hmm. that, because right. if Denver Air, uh, if you miss your connection to Minneapolis for any reason, weather or mechanical or right. something like that, they'll rebook you, right? And then if you're checking a bag, your check bag goes through seamlessly. Absolutely. So there's some assurances that are built into that system uh, there. Right. But, so the the volume may go up, but the net the profit margin for Denver might actually go down because they have to play by Delta's rules with connection. Interesting. But it is it is a not as tight of a partnership as a code share agreement. So it's kind of like a, it's, I called it an interline agreement. It's okay. like a, it's a part, a light partnership. Okay. Um, Interesting. So that's a lot. Okay. So I, I am fascinated by all that goes into your work, whether it's helping plow the roads or managing all the employees or applying for grants and managing all this different stuff, right? 
but we are here talking about money, not math. Mm-hmm. What, in all of your experience, uh, you know, managing the, whether it's your internships, but more likely your experience as the manager here, what is like the greatest financial lesson you have learned, whether it applies professionally or even to yourself personally that you'd be willing to share with our people who watch or listen yeah. to this conversation? I actually, uh, when I first got the job, I learned from Dave Anka to always uh, uh, be conservative on your revenues and be uh, uh, over overestimate your uh, your expenses, okay. and you'll always be okay. Uh, kind of a really simple thing, mm-hmm. but one that I live by, and just to make sure that we're financially stable as right. an organization. Okay, so be conservative on how much you expect to make, and over exaggerate maybe how much you expect to spend. Yeah, not wildly. Right, right, but but <laughs> error on the proper side of both of those cautions, right? Yep. Which is as simple as that is genius, because unfortunately, in the world of credit cards, what the banking industry has allowed people to do is spend money they don't yet have, mm-hmm. so they're overspending the revenue, mm-hmm. and then pay off minimums, so they're underspending their expenses. So they're doing our society, unfortunately, is that yep. the opposite of what you said. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. Great advice. And they're probably not accounting for the increased interest on those credit cards. It's only 30%. It just, just gets out of, out of hand very quickly. So you're saying if you buy something for 10% off, but put it on a credit card that charges 30% interest, that's not a good deal? It's probably not money. <laughs> Weird. Okay. So it doesn't have to be financial. It can be anything you want it to be from your career experience. What is one piece of advice that if you could go back and tell your 23-year-old self, Joe, or anyone else that watched or listened to this, what would be your one piece of advice that you'd give um, based on your career experience? Mm, well, the, uh, based on my career, I, I still would uh, create a budget and live by that budget. So it is financial. Okay, uh, You got to live by that budget. Um, as far as retirement goes, like I consider that a necessary expense. So that's like right off the top, uh, 15 to 20% savings. It's gone. Like, so I'm always living underneath my means, uh, kind of a key phrase there, but the retirement just comes off the top. I never see it. And so as my income grows, then that grows um, and you have to understand the power of compounding interest. So you've got to get it in early. So even if it, even if you can't do 15%, it has to be 5% or, or whatever, get it in there, start early uh, and you'll be thankful for it uh, in the end, I think. Well, I think I completely agree with what you just said, and I appreciate the way you outlined it very cleanly. And you could correlate it both to how you ran the business, right? You're prioritizing the stuff that you need to spend with the FFA money versus what you can be flexible and discretionary. You're doing the same thing with your personal life, right? Rather than looking at savings as an option, you're doing it regardless, just like your mortgage payment, and then making decisions after that. I think by taking the the choice out of it, it's actually making life simpler, at least that's in my personal opinion. Yeah. so perfect. I appreciate you sharing that very much. Uh, what is your definition of being successful? Uh, well, I would have always said that I don't want to outlive my money. Uh, I want my money to outlive me and I want to pass it on to the next generation. So if I'm able to do that, I will have considered myself successful. Awesome. That, I like how specific that is considering this is money, not math. I hope Did you tailor that just for me? Be honest. Or is that if I would have asked you out and it was my financial answer, okay, uh, you know, for my personal financial well-being, um, from my from a like a professional standpoint, from an airport standpoint, um, 
I want to be able to grow all the sectors of the airport okay. that are, are that are out there right now. You know, you've got cargo and airline service um, at a at the minimum most level of a local share, right? So we don't do a lot of stuff without grants. So mm-hmm. we need to continue on that path, and then we need to shift the burden, the financial burden, from uh, the taxpayers of Pennington County to the users of the airport, and and there probably will always be some component of uh, tax levy uh, and because there is a public good of the airport, uh, but just kind of shifting that over to the users of the airport. Well, on behalf of myself and all the rest of the people who pay taxes in Pennington County, thank you for making it your goal to decrease how much we pay in taxes I genu- or, and the yeah. share of the projects that come in. I appreciate that. So on that same vein, but a different way of looking at it, what are your core values that guide you in your personal and professional life? I believe that maybe I'll give you time to think about it if you don't already have them in your mind. I believe that our core values define the decisions we make and the decisions we make lead to end up being the life we live. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, what are those core values that really guide your decision making on a day-to-day basis and kind of your outlook on life? Well, thankfully you gave me these questions. <laughs> so I didn't have to come up with them on the top of my head, but, uh, and I can't say this is an exhaustive list, but I, I come, I keep coming back to consistency. And I see so much inconsistency in the world, uh, in our government, uh, that I, 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 it's, it's abhorrent. I, I just can't stand it. Like just set one bar and, and let's have that be, you know, the goalposts that we all live by. Uh, so consistency slash fairness, uh, is always top of mind. Um, you and I were talking off camera about uh, glass half full. I would, I would call that sober optimism um tm uh no i just i also kind of said uh, i've also called it uh, optimistic realism you know okay. we, you don't want to be exuberantly optimistic but you want to have you kind of want to have a positive mindset and i think in some cases um it's a self-fulfilling prophecy either way so why not have a positive outlook and and we'll move forward in that and always looking for that glass half full type of, of, of mindset. Uh, but in that, but you're bringing in that sober component and and that's where things don't always go according to plan. So you got to be kind of pragmatic about um, about troubleshooting and problems that are occurring either in your personal life or your professional life. So. Uh, one thing at the airport I've learned is construction is not perfect, and I'm a perfectionist. So when I go through a building and and it's not exactly perfect, I have to ask myself, you know, is this is this something to ruffle my feathers about, or can I just live with this and know that there is no perfection in, in construction? We we try to get as as best we can, but at the end of the day, that's that's. <laughs> It's, it's not realistic to expect perfection. Um, and then for the airport, I'm a big advocate of the airport and I think that lends itself, you know, so just try to speak passionately about it. And uh, if, if I'm not gonna advocate on, for the airport, who is? You know, are you gonna advocate for the airport? That's not your job. Now that they have Delta Connection, maybe, <laughs> but. <laughs> so uh, you gotta be out there. Uh, doing stuff like this, talking with uh, your local Rotary clubs. I got, um, I'm talking with Lion Club tomorrow, uh, many, many interviews, um, talking, advocating about the airport to state and federal officials. 
so much so that they're they're sick of hearing about DigiKey. They're sick of about hearing about the airport and how great our airline is doing. You know, but that's I, I'm just going to keep beating that drum, um, and and that's the, I think the best way to uh, provide value to the airport. Absolutely. So you have consistency or fairness, sober optimism, and um, passion or passion. advocacy. Is yep. that fair? And pragmatism. Pragmatism. Being, being pragmatic about. Okay. You know that that kind of goes hand in hand with sober optimism. Okay. You know, it's things aren't always going to go your way. So right. You're going to have to be able to uh, troubleshoot, navigate uh, an issue. Right. And go back to that optimism. That makes sense. So. I appreciate everything you've shared with us today. I am confident that we could have this conversation for four more hours and I'd still be learning from you, but I won't make everyone stay here that long. And I know you got lots to do today. Is there anything else about yourself, the work you do, or anything else that we haven't covered yet today that you'd like to share? I think we've covered a lot of it. I, I just, uh, I think the work that I do is very rewarding. Uh, there's a lot of variety to it. And uh, so I, I do enjoy it. I'm learning. I learn every, every day um, something new and uh, some things I shake my head about uh, <laughs> <laughs> regulations and yeah. things, but uh, that's that that is the game that we're playing. So, right, um, and the, hopefully I, I'm making a difference in the community. That's kind of my that's my goal. I appreciate that very much, and your intentions. And I I, I apologize. I'm going to lie a little bit. I just thought of a last question: mm -hmm. Is there anything that the community can do? to help support you or support ourselves by supporting the airport. Because from my understanding, the more successful the airport is, the less we have to end up paying in taxes because we can kind of shift that burden to people That's riding it rather than just, yeah. right? So, um, but is there anything the community mm -hmm. can do to support you and or the airport well, itself? First of all, I mean, I have uh, I would say that support of the airport is already there. Um, I've, I know many other airport managers, uh, worked at a, at a, the Owatonna Airport, and I can tell you, it's not the same uh, feel and, and support level at every airport. So you can you can tell that around here, people know the importance of the airport um, and, and generally support it. Good. Um, you know, of course, I'm going to say ride the airline. Uh, <laughs> that's obvious. Um, but I wouldn't say. I mean. I'm, I'm human like everybody else. And so if the trip doesn't work out, you know, all I can say is take a look at, at what Denver Air has to offer. Uh, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, maybe next time. But your support goes a long way. It means a lot Perfect. To, the, to the airport. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Joe, again, for your time. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself, about the airport, about the lessons you've learned and the experience you've had. I genuinely appreciate it. I hope those of you who take the time to watch or listen to this conversation appreciate it as well. As always, please reach out, whether it's questions for me regarding retirement planning or this conversation or questions for Joe. I'd be more than happy to forward them to you, get an answer and get back to you on them. Please let us know or request for future Money Not Math conversations. I'm always trying to just provide value to people who take the time to learn. Um, and that's what we're doing here, hopefully. So I hope you have a good rest of your day. And thanks again, Joe. Thanks, Drew. Talk to you guys later. Bye.